Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military, but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 64 of the Headspace and Timing podcast, a show brought to you by the Change Your POV podcast network. On this episode, we have a conversation with Amy Otzel, an Iraq war veteran who became a mental health counselor after being medically retired. Amy's organization, Inner Resource Psychotherapy, was the partner organization that's going to be receiving 10 free copies of Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy. Thanks to the generosity and interest of those of you who have purchased a copy, I'm able to give books to organizations that are supporting veterans' mental health and wellness, like Amy. Before we get to that, though, Amy and I have a great conversation about her background and her thoughts about veteran mental health. The military is a efficiency, proficiency, mastery, skills-based culture of highly effective and efficient individuals who are top-notch trained and can endure even under the harshest of circumstances. That if we can consider um, it to be more important to focus on the personhood of the military veteran, who they are and what is so right about them, emphasizing their strengths, their skill sets, that we can really pull the stigma down by not emphasizing the pathology and what is so wrong. Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast Network. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes about veteran mental health. My name's Dwayne France, and I'm a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After I retired from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set right, however, it was just a huge useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing isn't set correctly either. That's my goal with this show. Change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support veteran service members and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast once again. And as always, we really appreciate you taking the time to learn more about veteran mental health. Uh, today we have a, a friend of the book, blog, and podcast on the show um, talking about uh, um, what she did in the military and what she's doing now. Uh, and this is another, uh, another show in which we have a mental health professional who is also a veteran like myself, um, but also is, is working with veterans like I am. And uh, 
Uh, and as we were talking before that uh, just connecting, uh, having other mental health professionals who are veterans is, is helpful. So my guest today is uh, Amy Otzel. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, Dwayne. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I think we've been uh, uh, talking for a while. We, we travel in some of the same circles. Uh, uh, Tony Williams, who was a previous guest on the show, we're, we're sort of all, we, we've all sort of gravitated together. Um, yes. Veteran mental health professionals. Yes. Veterans counseling veterans. Yeah. So um, I guess I'd like to start out um, hearing a little bit about uh, you and, and what you did in the military and how that transitioned into um, into what you're doing now. Sure. So um, in September of 2001, I enlisted into the Connecticut Army National Guard and um, I trained as a behavioral health specialist. At the time, it was called the 91 X-ray. Today, I think it's a 68 X-ray. Um, and uh, very quickly, uh, because of the time frame uh, after I got back from AIT, my unit was activated uh, in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom and we had an 18-month activation and deployment um, uh, to the Iraq Theater of Operations. And we were, um, I was with the 118th Medical Battalion, and we were in charge of 29 outposted sites in, in the Theater of Operations. And I provided uh, essentially uh, behavioral health care uh, as best as we could uh, in that context uh, out in the field. A lot of it was combat stress control, um, working at a troop medical clinic, but also making movement uh, to many of those outposted sites, uh, doing psychoeducational um, prevention trainings, uh, preventing uh, battle fatigue, et cetera. And um, then upon uh, homecoming, uh, I remained in the Connecticut Army National Guard for 13 and a half years. Uh, I ended up uh, medical medical retirement. Um, and during some of my civilian soldier time, uh, I worked six years for the U.S. Uh, Department of Veterans Affairs with the Vet Center Program as readjustment counseling therapist. Uh, it had really uh, always been my mission uh, since the early age in high school um, to serve. Uh, I had a fascination with human behavior and also with some U.S. history, learning about, uh, in particular, the Vietnam War. And I just couldn't fathom how a, a generation of service members could have bore the, the burden of war and uh, came home uh, to their country and, and received in, in such an ill-mannered way. And I, I just thought about all the pain and suffering that still was going on. And I was stirred uh, at that time uh, to figure out how I could help. And I thought the best way that I could do that was actually by serving myself. So this, is, uh, this journey has really been quite uh, an important uh, mission orientation of mine and um, today I'm very privileged to be working uh, in the community. I started my own uh, private practice uh, after moving forward from the VA. And um, I exclusively uh, work with uh, military veterans and their family members. So, and in, in that's uh, it's definitely interesting in, in you when you were in the military, um, uh, separate from how I, I wasn't a mental health professional when I was in the Army. 
um, you deliberately chose that career field to to go into. Uh, we've had uh, a previous guest, Carl Lafaro, was on episode fifty seven. Uh, he was a mental health. Uh, specialist when in the army and and so it was this was something it, it, it's not a total shift for you it's more like a logical progression why uh, enlist as a mental health specialist to begin with yeah so um, I actually had a recruiter in high school who was chasing me around a bit um, but I decided it wasn't the right time for me to to enter in and I went on to my undergraduate studies in psychology and when I had learned that the the army actually had behavioral health specialists that really sealed the deal for me. I thought it was a, a great way to enter into the service the way that I had thought. You know, if I go find out what this is like, then um, I could probably be uh, much more helpful. And in this vein, as a mental health specialist, being able to actually have the training from the uh, Department of the Army and be in a, a, a slot to do that work just made so much sense. Um, I, I had graduated uh, college already at that point, and I certainly could have entered into the officer ranks uh, if I chose, but um, I, I didn't have any way of being direct commissioned to work directly with mental health. So knowing that there was an enlist, enlisted behavioral health specialist, I decided uh, for sure that was the best way that I could make the connection uh, with the troops. And um, it would put me right in that, you know, um, framework uh, to offer the support that I had originally, you know, endeavored upon. That's really what I wanted to do. So uh, as a uh, behavioral health specialist in the Army, um, that's a relatively new MOS, right? It, it was something that was created uh, in the early 2000s. It, it, I don't believe it, it had been um, uh, around much longer than that. Uh, and uh, and not a lot of people, veterans or even non-veterans, really understand what that is and how that's different from so-called the doc, because all medical professionals are called doc, right? Medics all the way up to the surgeons. Uh, the way I explain it is it's sort of like a chaplain's assistant, right? You know, so the chaplain has a chaplain's assistant and uh, the, the mental health professional, the psychologist, uh, even at that time, I'm not sure that they were bringing in master's level clinicians um, so maybe could you explain a little bit of the difference between what an enlisted behavioral health specialist did and the commissioned mental health clinical mental health provider did? Yeah. So first, I just want to uh, mention some of the history. I'm not entirely certain myself, but in my training, um, our NCOs who delivered our um, advanced individual training, they at the time were 91 x-rays as well, um, but they had themselves historically been 91 golf and 91 foxtrots. So I do believe that the behavioral health specialist in the Army existed prior to the 2000s. Mm. It was um, uh, the way that I the way that I 
remember it was that one was specifically supposed to be working in garrison in medical like facilities and the other was the field uh, behavioral health specialist. Now I don't know um, the nomenclature that were attached to the 91 golf and fox foxtrots. I don't know exactly how they called that. Um, but I do know that in some way there was a progression uh, up to the 91 x-rays of the 2000s. So um, historically there was some of that. And um, so how does that differ? You know, you mentioned working with the chaplains. Uh, I, in my 13 and a half years, I actually never worked with the chaplains. Um, to be quite frank, I don't know that the uh, Department of the Army really uh, did a great job of utilizing our MOS to mm -hmm. its best uh, capacity. Um, one of the things that you know I just want to touch upon here is that it really struck me. Uh, I knew uh, entering in that in our society we had a stigma attached to seeking mental health services. Mm -hmm. uh, I figured that would exist in the military, but I didn't realize entering in just how much uh, more strong that was. So it was at my time, at least, and in my experience, at least, it was a very complex uh, way to try to engage the troops uh, when essentially if someone was seen standing with me or um, coming into the clinic down our hallway, um, it would, that alone could create a lot of distress because it was, the stigma was so great. So that was part of our prevention piece was that we were going to go out and do psychoeducation and, and, and try to um, be proactive and help folks. So um, to explain a bit about my job, I mean, my job as a behavioral health specialist far exceeded the parameters of what I'm even legally able to do uh, as a licensed professional counselor today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were really intended to do, um, you know, full intakes, assessments, treatment planning, and even uh, assist with medication management, um, which was, of course, not the most convenient thing to be doing in, in a combat zone, but um, we had very limited access to um, psychiatrists, you know, the, the, the medical officers, the licensed clinical social workers who were direct commissioned in. Um, it was very difficult. So in terms of my battalion level um, operation, um, we had five enlisted folks um, stationed at Camp Anaconda with upwards of 24,000 coalition forces and DOD contractors that we were supposed to somehow, you know, um, provide services to should they engage. Um, and oftentimes folks wouldn't come for mental health. Uh, they would sort of come um, as they were able to the doctor's. And um, maybe while they were, because they need a sick call slip, you know, so maybe they um, got by way of the docs and then told the doc they really needed to see mental health, but, you know, they didn't want their command to know. Uh, and with the nature of, of, the, of the combat zone, you know, we didn't really have continuity of care by any means. 
And um, another facet of, of my job was doing mental health status uh, assessments for uh, enemy prisoners of war, uh, high visibility detainees. So we would sort of move from working in the troop medical clinics to traveling the, the combat theater to um, work with the MPs, the CIA, um, and, and go to different uh, places where um, we had to work with the prisoners and um, essentially assess them so that they could be screened, interrogated, etc. Uh, and then the psychoeducation. When I came back in garrison, um, you know, I know my experience is probably different than an active duty uh, full-time behavioral health specialist. But coming back into the guard, um, my my medical unit just sort of didn't see a need, uh, which is sort of curious. Uh, <laughs> they didn't see a need for mental health uh, after uh, we returned. And uh, I was transitioned into a role with our recruit sustainment program as a, a drill instructor. And I became a range operator for the, our firearms uh, training simulations uh, range. And uh, at, at certain points, uh, I was even actually asked not to tell uh, any of the troops that I was in behavioral health. So the, the stigma during my time was, um, was quite grand. So um, we essentially, as behavioral health, uh, very well could have been doing um, a, a great deal of work, as you know, is so imperative and important uh, back on the home front. Um, but much of that got minimized. Um, I think it's shifted and changed throughout the years um, since, since I've been here uh, in Connecticut out of the guard and doing a lot of advocacy work. Um, that actually leads into sort of my platform uh, out, out of the service is that I too found that although I wanted to be helpful uh, in, in terms of supporting uh, folks who go through the you know operational stress, combat stress, et cetera, that I wasn't exempt from any of that. And I had certainly completed my goal of learning what it felt like to experience something like war, but I was really naive. Um, I didn't realize that, that that would also impact me in a very difficult way. And, and very humbled that part of my ability to continue to serve uh, our military and veterans and families would be that I had to move forward on a, a healing journey myself. So um, much of my um, much of my time uh, was really spent on uh, seeking uh, mental health myself. And that was a curious um, engagement, being the mental health provider who was now in need of those same services. And very fortunately, uh, I had really great tie to my meaning and purpose and knew that I had to take care of myself. Uh, in order to help other people take care of their self, themselves. So um, I, I did a lot of self-care and um, worked in many ways uh, to build my resiliency back and uh, readjust, reintegrate. And it then became a, a big facet of my mission orientation to advocate uh, to pull that stigma down uh, directly in the, the military services here with the Connecticut Army National Guard, even with the VA, and, and I beat feet in the community doing that as well. 
So, and in, in that's uh, it, that's obviously something that's critically important. You had the self awareness and even the, the the clinical training to understand uh, the symptoms, right? That this is not uh, things aren't exactly the way it should be. Um, I like that. You know, I wanted the experience to go to combat, and I was the same thing. But you can't want to learn how to swim without getting wet. And so, yes, you're actually going to have some of that uh, impact you. Um, but then you said that, that you know that not everybody else has that awareness. Not other veterans have that awareness, or even your unit, right? You know, um, saying that well, right. <laughs> you know you don't need that. I I have this vision of before you're um, before you deploy, you're sitting on a shelf. Then they take you off the shelf because they have a slot for you. They put you in, in a little closet in the back. And in case that somebody might want to, they ring a bell every once in a while. And then you get to come talk to them and then go back to your closet. Then you come back and redeploy and you get put back on a shelf. And I mean, and it's it, it, it's something that it's not sustainable, um, but it's also, I think, a lack of awareness about the impact of, of veteran mental health. Um, people don't see it. They, they see it as something secondary, not something as primary. Uh, and so that's where, like you said, you've gotten into the advocacy piece. And, and I've definitely seen that too, where, uh, you know, I thought I, I'd open up a program where, um, we would have, uh, veterans, uh, in, in, and we have grant funded programs so that veterans don't have to pay. Uh, in the beginning, it was like uh, Ghostbusters, right? Any calls? No. Any messages? No. Right? And it was just, why aren't veterans coming in? And I realized the same thing as you, is the awareness isn't out there. So I, I guess I'd like to hear a little bit about your advocacy, sort of what you do and how you do it, um, and maybe how other veterans or veterans who are mental health professionals can kind of do the same thing. Sure. I mean, um, my advocacy, I guess, developed uh, much while I was simultaneously still in the guard as a behavioral health specialist, uh, although not functioning in that capacity, but also working uh, with the VA. Um, essentially, you know, I had worked very diligently to um, promote my resiliency and my health and wellness. Uh, I still think I'm on that journey very much so even now, 13, 14 years later uh, from homecoming. But in that vein, essentially, um, I, I, I guess the, the first part of the first piece of my advocacy was working on my own internalized stigma, as well as how I process the idea that others might put that on me. How could I possibly be someone who experienced post-traumatic stress disorder and is actually a professional working in this field to assist people in healing from uh, operational and, and, and combat stress? So I had to really, you know, um, do the inner work first to recognize that, you know, really actually how special that is. Lived experience is so powerful. And um, being that person confidently out there in front of others without coming from a place of fear and representing myself in that strength that it's okay to be me and it's okay um, to have this conversation. Uh, I essentially would um, have the conversation um, in different uh, settings, uh, whether that was with the Connecticut Army National Guard, whether that was with uh, folks at the Vet Center program, folks at the VA. Um, you know, I, I would really 
I guess part of that advocacy is just in that embodied wisdom that and, and that confidence in terms of it's okay. Uh, and I'm going to show that, you know, um, to know and not do is to not know. Um, so I thought that one big piece of advocacy really needed to start just with me and really bringing down that internalized and how I internalize the external stigma of that. Um, so that was one piece. And folks really seem to like that. Um, you know, I, I, I suppose in many ways that served as a model, uh, professionals started catching on to the idea of, wow, you know, especially in, in, in at least I could speak to my VA system at the time I worked there. You know, there were a lot of professionals who didn't necessarily see uh, a lot of veterans getting better. And it became um, notable that they're like, wow, you know, um, tell us about your experiences. You know, what did you do in terms uh, of processing and coping through everything? So I caught their ear. And um, then another great piece of my advocacy really came from, well, gosh, how did I do this? You know, how, how did I really work on my health and healing and process uh, those difficulties? Um, much of that, of course, uh, came from working with uh, my own counselor. I've been in counseling myself now uh, for 13 years. You know, um, I've had the same great counselor for the past eight years. Um, that'll be a continual part uh, of importance for me, especially continuing to do the work that I do. But um, what I started to do was really think about this, and um, I started recognizing that the traditional um, sort of, I started thinking about my training in the military, and um, I started thinking about symptoms in the mental health field, and one thing that I recognized was that just about every symptom of uh, uh, post-traumatic stress uh, parallels very importantly to a great warrior resource skill set that we have in order to tolerate uh, and and survive and engage uh, with the combat zone. So I started thinking about my military training, and what I what I noticed was that you know I had learned and a set of deeply ingrained skill sets from my military training and combat experiences that just don't go away because I have uh, left the war zone. You know, life and death experiences are one trial learning. I mean, you're not going to forget how to survive. And very importantly, uh, you know, our, our bodies and our minds and our nervous systems don't let us forget. And coming back home, all of a sudden, these same really good skill sets became symptoms. And in my first so many years of seeking treatment, uh, I felt very pathologized. And I didn't feel that all those strengths that I had were emphasized. So part of my advocacy became um, a platform of recognizing that the military is efficiency, proficiency, mastery, skills-based culture of highly effective and efficient individuals who are top-notch trained and can endure even under the harshest of circumstances. That if we can 
consider um, it to be more important to focus on the personhood of the military veteran, who they are, and what is so right about them, emphasizing their strengths, their skill sets, that we can really pull the stigma down by not emphasizing the pathology and what is so wrong. And so another piece of my advocacy came just in shaping the, the work that I do um, as a therapist with military veterans and their families, as well as, um, you know, getting out into the community and teaching other mental health professionals at the federal, the state, and the local private uh, settings uh, that they really uh, could be better serving and creating more connections with our population if they can shift in terms of the way in which they conceptualize, um, you know, our struggles uh, in terms of uh, reintegration and moving through uh, stress when back on the home front. So, um, you know, it really became another facet of my advocacy to get out there um, and and train the people who are trying to make the connections that just aren't getting them on how to better make the connection. And that has been uh, vastly uh, received and um, created a platform for so many other military and veterans and their family members to seek me out knowing the type and the framework that strengths and values and skills-based platform that I come from that um, uh, was really another piece. Um, another piece to that is that I'm just out there, um, you know, delivering information in the community. Uh, I do a lot of um, outreach events, uh, veteran stand downs, uh, different college fairs, um, uh, charity rides, uh, charity events for veterans. And I will uh, put up a table and I'll have lots of resources. And again, really present myself as someone uh, who comes from a place of lived experience. And, um, you know, making that connection, just being seen out in the public, letting other military veterans and their families know that there are veterans out there who want to help. Uh, and, um, you know, our, our, it is that important that we're out there at these things that are important to them. Yeah, and that's great. And uh, you are uh, literally singing my song, right? I mean, that's, that's what all of this is about. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm hearing the same things that I'm just, we need to change the way that we think about veteran mental health. We need to change the way that we talk about veteran mental health, uh, and that you're changing that. I really like that progression, uh, that you went through uh, first, you had awareness, uh, of, of your own concerns and then reflected on why that was, um, then shaping and teaching the conversation, uh, and then actually trying to replicate what you did, um, I would imagine, and, and possibly maybe this might be a little bit of projection, of uh, it, maybe it felt a little lonely at times that you were the only voice in the wilderness saying these kind of things, um, that because we, as, as you said, veterans, 
those with lived experience, especially combat veterans who are now mental health professionals, aren't, um, there's not a lot of us in the field. And so um, you probably felt isolated a lot. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you, you're reading that, you're reading that well. Um, it, it, it hasn't been a place of, um, uh, of companionship by any means. Um, for the longest time, I mean, uh, even in my, uh, unit here in the guard, uh, for six years, I was the only behavioral health specialist in our state. And, um, you know, do a lot, there are a lot of great people who want to do the work. Um, but, but, you know, for me, I felt so much like a lone ranger and, um, I wasn't willing to give up on the mission, but I didn't necessarily have, um, you know, a squad or a team of, uh, of like-minded, uh, veterans to, um, uh, or even like-minded mental health professionals, uh, to really uh, offer that support and kind of trailblaze uh, along with me, you know, some of that is definitely changing. I mean, I I think you remember probably, you know, some of my emails to you in the recent past where I was just conveying how thrilled I am to um, see someone like yourself uh, out here and know that I'm not alone. And um, as a matter of fact, I went to a great um weekend workshop about two weeks ago in North Carolina uh, with um, a on point uh, from Millspeak Foundation, a women warrior writing workshop. And I got to meet a former uh, female Marine uh, who's also a mental health professional and apparently has been much like you and I over the course of the years doing this work um, and, you know, didn't know about her either. So it's just so empowering to me as well to know that there are more of us um, uh, who are really, you know, um, illuminating uh, this advocacy to help and, and continue that mission and service uh, to our comrades. Do you find it hard to shift uh, maybe between providing direct service uh, to veterans? Um, I'm, I'm thinking about my day as I'm, I'm coming up. I have, you know, basic, well, now four with our conversation here, uh, a presentation, working in a, um, a, a community group with the Veterans Court and then seeing clients. Um, that's, uh, that takes some nimble feet on the dance floor. Do you find it hard to shift between sort of your advocacy role and your direct service role? Um, well, uh, I guess the answer might be yes. Um, if I didn't set up my schedule differently, um, you know, I really over the years have been learning, uh, as an important facet of being able to sustain and continue this mission and, and, and work on my own wellness as well. Uh, you know, really important ways to set up the work that I do. So I see folks, uh, I see clients on uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and I leave Monday and Friday open for the lecturing that I do, for the advocacy that I do. And then uh, oftentimes with the um, uh, outreach that I do at the veteran charitable events, those are on weekends and they're typically family friendly, you know, so then I'll have uh, my family with me as well. And it's sort of our uh, little family mission together. So, um, you know, can it be, um, 
uh, you know, complex to shift in those ways. Um, yes. Uh, however, I think the, the, the positive spillover from each is just so paralleled because the way in which I espouse the advocacy um, matches the way in which I roll out the, the, the helping service uh, that I offer to those that I work with. Yeah. And then, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and I can I can see that too. I mean, very much uh, what I write and what we talk about here on the um, on the podcast are the same things I'm discussing in sessions individually with veterans, uh, and then seeing uh, the common things with veterans. I, I think the you talked back to the reflection that you had. Uh, I call that the the uh, violence of action paradox that those things that were helpful to us in combat or helpful to us in the military are against us in the post-military life. And those things that were beneficial in the post-military life, caring, compassion, peace were actually harmful to us when we were in combat. And so uh, those are the kind of things that, yes, I, I do that not just with, um, you know, in speaking in the advocacy and telling the story, but also with veterans. And so, again, and it's good to hear that. I often say um, that, that this is like a shouting into the fog, right? You know that there's people out there, but you don't always hear them. And it's good to hear somebody come back, say, hey, I got you every once in a while, maybe mm-hmm. once every three months, and then then you're good for another couple months. But You know, you um, in, in listening um, to you, it brought up another thought in my mind about what I do find kind of complex to transition, but... Uh, in the work that I do. Um, One really important facet of the work that I do uh, with military veterans and their families is uh, in addition to the counseling and psychotherapy, as well as um, I train what I call mindful maneuvers training and for our warrior resource skill building. Um, But, but a really important piece of what I do is benefits work with veterans. You know, I'm not a service officer by any means, but I think it's an extremely important role uh, in the work that I do to assure that the individuals have accessibility, are armed with information to create those opportunities that they need um, to, in fact, reintegrate and and have the, the, the benefits that they've already earned, yet very much feel like they have to fight for. So that's actually another piece of my advocacy um, is is advocating uh, to the veteran uh, and really to the system in terms of holding the system accountable and sort of being an important liaison in between to making sure that everybody is aware of resources that are out there, um, whether it is um, you know, assuring that your service-connected claims are in place, assuring that your GI Bill or your voc rehab uh, is is going well, and and that those other facets of the system that are often, um, you know, bogged down with red tape and other sorts of, of nuances that we can that we can together in that empowered collaboration uh, work towards those goals. Um, it is so mysterious to um, navigate and negotiate the 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 VA system as well as the Veterans Benefits Administration, even other types of community resources. It could be so curious how to do that with different you know, just from not knowing the information to uh, struggling to make sure that, um, you know, 
everything is expedited uh, correctly and determined correctly. So that's a big piece of what I do uh, as well in the work. And I, I just actually can't fathom as a mental health counselor not uh, really assuring that people, you know, once they leave my office, um, you know, have those sorts of opportunities out there. And um, also, um, over the past uh, almost, I think about a year and a half, I uh, have been a, a veteran member of our federally mandated uh, VA Mental Health Community Advisory Board. And uh, I meet once monthly with a group of other veterans and um, key players in our um, Connecticut VA uh, healthcare system uh, who essentially field the issues that are going on in our veteran community interfacing with VA mental health to assure that their care uh, is being delivered um, in an important and appropriate way. And I found that that actually really has helped me with that um, complexity that you talked about, about transitioning from one thing to the next. Because in the past, I used to just see so many of the problems, but didn't have necessarily an outlet to take them to. And now when I'm out there doing all of this work, uh, whether I'm you know, capturing a concern in the community or capturing concern within my practice, um, I actually have a mechanism uh, of advocacy um, there to take the issues to the platform, have them raised with a group of veterans, and, um, and make sure that there's correction in place um, for the veterans being served. See, and, and that is uh, a lot of people think that uh, you know, mental health professional were just it's Freud on the couch and, and, right. and things like that. And, and you go to the office and we talk about your feelings. Um, but but obviously, and this is something that I've been trying to help veterans understand, that it's much more than that. Um, it's it's helping veterans understand. It's helping non-veterans understand. Uh, and it's really helping veterans navigate through these challenges. I mean, the challenges are there, whether or not veterans want to acknowledge them or not. Um, and a lot of times uh, it may be difficult trying to figure out how to get through that. So mm -hmm. that's really great. You know, I have a, a colleague who is a he's at the vet center here in Colorado Springs. He's a licensed clinical social worker. Uh, and you and I are licensed professional counselors. And and I kind of went into that way back in episode one, the difference between the two. But typically we are more counseling focus, wellness focus, as you mentioned earlier. You know, let's talk about wellness rather than illness. Um, but he is much more of a direct counselor. So I, I joke that he is a professional counselor and he says what we're doing is more like social work and it's more the system stuff, but it is a system. It is that the veteran needs assistance navigating the system. And I think it's great that, uh, that that's what you're emerging into because it's needed. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. So, uh, and, and one of the reasons, and, and we hadn't even gotten into this yet, but one of the reasons I invited you on the show is that you are uh, our partner for the month of June um, that's yes. going to be receiving uh, uh, copies of, uh, free copies of the book, uh, Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy. And so, um, as of right now, as we're recording this, it's, uh, you've got seven free books coming your way. I anticipate it's going to be about 10. For those of you listening, I'm partnering with uh, agencies who are supporting veterans like Amy's, um, who are 
who want to use the book to be able to help uh, guide conversations and things like that. So for every five books that are sold, I'm donating one book to an organization a month. And so uh, Amy's uh, is that organization. So uh, I guess I'd like to hear maybe, you know, why you thought that this would be something good to jump into and maybe what you might think you're going to use with the books. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for that opportunity uh, to assist and support my organization in that way. Um, So one of the first things um, uh, I'm uh, actually in the process of growing my private practice uh, and I am bringing I'm looking to bring on other veterans, counseling veterans. I'm not sure if you have noticed this out in, in your area. I hope you may. But I have been meeting a lot of um, counselors and social workers to be that are veterans mm-hmm. um, here in Connecticut. And um, I have a few uh, pre-licensed uh, veteran individuals who are very much in their second or third careers and are have found just such great meaning and purpose to remain in service to our population uh, that they really thought that coming much like me from our, our their own journey in um, in readjustment and, and 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 health and healing that they wanted to give back in that way and so I'm uh, going to be growing my practice. And one facet I thought was great was these folks, too, uh, much like you said before, have felt pretty much alone in, in what they were doing. Uh, even though I've found a good handful of these folks, um, they've very much been in their programs uh, training as the lone veteran. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I am very pleased. I want to be able to offer your book, um, you know, to these folks so that they can review and read as well, uh, because that would be another great influence to them to see a veteran like yourself uh, out there as, as a model, really. Um, you know, uh, so that's that's one thing that that I um, hope to do is share your book with the folks that are are in uh, training for this and, and looking to do the work with me here. Um, another facet is is uh, I want to have a few copies available for uh, you know my my veterans to kind of see uh, the folks that I work with, maybe their families, etc. Um, you know, uh, always having something uh, that they can that I can offer to them that there's. there's this book that you can read, um, you know, written by, uh, another, uh, fellow veteran, uh, and uh, offer that to them. Um, just having the one copy uh, that I purchased myself from you and being able to put it out there in my waiting room, I've had um, some veteran clients who have already went and, and bought them already. I had a, uh, one Vietnam veteran uh, who was thrilled and, and purchased a couple copies. And just the, the title of your book, uh, really captured him um, because I've actually been working with him for a very long time, and um, he, you know, still sort of has that sense of internalization of being crazy. Crazy combat and, vet, right? You know, crazy. Right. Yeah, no, and that's <laughs> right. it. So he was just thrilled, and he was like, "Oh, what is that?" And uh, so he, of course, picked it up, and uh, he's like, "I want to read this." And I was like, "Good." <laughs> <laughs> no, don't so, do that. Um, that. That would that would be exactly what I don't want you to do. 
And um, so uh, he was just thrilled to see that. So also I want to, um, you know, for my outreach events, um, you know, I want to be able to uh, bring some of those copies out, uh, you know, oftentimes, again, being I'm at a veteran event. Um, sometimes it's not clear to others that I scream veteran myself. Uh, partly, I think that's because I'm female and maybe because I have my kids in tow or whatever. But, um, you know, it's hard enough for me to kind of be looked at sometimes as the veteran. Um, but I've got my table and now I'm, I, I may or may not be a veteran. Plus I'm mental health. Um, you know, I want to be able to, um, create another means of, uh, of connectivity and approach, uh, between folks and being able to, um, you know, with, with some of those free copies, um, uh, I have a very big, um, outreach event coming up around uh, Veterans Day. Uh, I'm hoping that some of those copies can be used as a giveaway of sorts and and, and as a tool to um, create an opportunity for a conversation. Um, one thing that happened, I did a, a Purple uh, Guardians of the Purple Heart poker run uh, outreach event a couple weeks ago. And, um, I had posted just on Facebook, your post about, um, you know, being the, um, the, the organization to receive the copies. And I had someone who actually recognized my logo, uh, and said, Oh my gosh, that's the book. You, you, you had, you had a, um, post about a book cause I had posted it in multiple veterans forums and um, someone actually came up to me and then brought someone else up to me and it created exactly what I was hopeful for, that they just wanted to communicate. They felt safe uh, making that connection, knowing already that it was coming from a place of um, a common experience of, well, shared, shared different experience, but shared background and a sense that this was about, um, you know, veterans helping veterans, not about trying to stigmatize anybody. So it actually did its work just in that way. So, um, you know, being able to convey your advocacy uh, by way of the writings in your book, as well as uh, assisting mine, I think it's a great in tandem way to just promote connectivity uh, between ourselves and the work that we're doing to engage uh, the veterans and their families that we hope to serve. No, I think that I really appreciate that, uh, pretty much all of it, of course, um, but but it is a communication tool. I, I've heard um, uh, parents who, who hadn't understand what their, their son or daughter had gone through who read the book and then gave the book to the, and it started a conversation. Um, yeah. One thing that I, I maybe hadn't considered, like you said, yes, I have seen veterans like you and I who are emerging now looking at post-military careers and deciding on this. I have seen quite a few um, veterans in counseling programs. Uh, I, I, I'm a mentor with the NBCC Foundation, uh, and, and I mentor those same veterans. Um, one thing that I've noticed is we're emerging into the field where our supervisors don't necessarily have the understanding of the cultural competence. Um, I, I had yes. a, a great... Um, uh, both of my clinical uh, supervisors in my um, internship, um, neither were military, but they had taken the time to understand military and military culture. Um, but that's something that this next generation of clinicians who are veterans, um, this may be a tool for them to say to their supervisors, hey, this is this is what I'm getting at. This is what I'm talking about. And so mm -hmm. I hadn't considered that as a 
um, hey, you're not alone, and you can use this as a a, a method of communication um, mm-hmm. for your others. So, so that's great. It's good to hear that. Um, I I really appreciate the the use. That was what it was all intended was for the veteran to pick it up and say, oh, I, I'm not crazy because here's a book that says I'm not crazy, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and and so that it's all about wellness and and things like that and. Uh, so no, that's that's some great stuff. I'm I'm glad that uh, you know somebody came. You're the book lady, right? You know, so you're the yeah. <laughs> you're the book lady. Even though uh, that's great, I've never had anybody come up to me and say I'm the book guy yet. But uh, that's that's yeah. not what it's about. I'm I'm glad that it's able to be used um, to again what you're trying to do, what I'm trying to do, what Tony Ellsworth is trying to do, and many of us in the community is changing the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health, and so. Uh, no, this has been great, Amy. I really appreciate um, the conversation. Um, before we go, um, let's uh, tell people where they can find you, um, social media, your website, things like that. Sure. So um, my uh, organization is Inner Resource Psychotherapy. Uh, can be found at www.innerresource.org. Org. And I'm Amy Otzel on LinkedIn and Wonder Veteran on uh, Instagram <laughs> and Inner Resource on Twitter. <laughs> so we'll make sure that all of those uh, all of those are on the uh, on the show notes, uh, which you can be found at VeteranMentalHealth.com and ChangerPOV.com. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's been my privilege. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. You're listening to Headspace and Timing on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. Like me, Amy is a part of a growing number of veterans that are choosing the mental health field as her next career outside of the military. If you're a longtime listener, you may have noticed how many guests on the show have military experience. It's often a natural progression from the service that we provided in the military to the service that we provide now. Like many other career fields, it often seems like veterans are in the vast minority when it comes to our coworkers. It can seem a little isolating, and it's always beneficial when you find that you're not the only one that thinks, talks, and acts like you. Another great point that Amy brought up was her observation that the very training that made us successful in the military, enduring hardship, ignoring pain, being vigilant, and always prepared, these are the same traits that might be seen as negative in our post-military lives. As she said, we can recognize those things as strengths as long as we don't let them interfere with our lives. We can learn to live peacefully and well, not just in spite of our military background, but because of it. If that seems challenging, reaching out to a mental health professional who, like Amy, understands the military mindset can go a long way towards getting a handle on that. For the last couple of months, I've been giving away free books to organizations that partner directly with veterans. You heard about how many books we were able to give to Amy's organization during the month of June. In July, we're partnering with another organization, Operation TBI Freedom. OTF is a nonprofit in Colorado Springs that provides peer support and case management to veterans who have experienced traumatic brain injury. If you want to learn more about the organization, go to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash organization. If you want to support their work with veterans, head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash combat vet book and pick up a copy. And if you have an Echo device, I want to remind you that we're on Alexa as well. Just go to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash Alexa to add the update to your flash briefing and you'll get daily updates about veteran mental health and wellness. And every once in a while, you might get a chance to get a free copy of the book just like Amy. Just listen daily to check it out. Make sure to tune in next week where we have another live discussion from the 2018 American Counseling Association Conference in Atlanta. My guest next week, like Amy and I, is a combat veteran who chose to go into the mental health field as part of his post-deployment life. 
Marco Bongiani is an Army officer and currently working in the Department of Veterans Affairs as a readjustment counselor in a vet center in New York. As always, we get some great insights into veteran mental health from a service member perspective. So until then, stay focused and be well. I'd like to thank the Change Your POV Podcast Network for hosting this show and highlighting the critical importance of veteran mental health. We want to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email at Dwayne at VeteranMentalHealth.com. You can find me at Twitter at The Counseling Vet or head on over to Facebook and look for the Change Your POV Squad. You can find the show notes for this episode and all the episodes by going to VeteranMentalHealth.com or ChangeYourPOV.com. Sign up for updates on either or both so you don't miss another episode. While you're at it, check out the other great shows on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. The show about remembering our military history and reviving our warrior spirit, changing hearts and minds. The show about outdoor activities that us veterans love so much, Neophyte in the Woods. The show that helps us get going at the beginning of the week, Motivation Monday. And Attack Fridays, the show that brings you actionable tips, tricks, and coachable knowledge to help you make the best of your transition. While you're checking out the other shows, drop us a review in iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. The reviews really help spread the word about what we're doing. If you're looking for the total package for all the information you need to live the life you want after leaving the military, you found it. If you know of a buddy who's looking for the same info, share it with them so they can find it too. I want to thank Doc Todd for his permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his amazing album, Combat Medicine. Doc Todd is somebody who's trying to bring veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can get the album by going to therealdoctod.com. Check it out, because remember, veterans, you're not alone, ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-created mini-me's Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability Your arm and a gun away from your forehead. It's time, man. You've been through enough pain. Stand up. Stand up.
it's time to stand back up. All my veterans, man, Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. Get up, you know. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.